0: Hello, and welcome to the MA's monthly podcast, talking about all things happening in the UK's pub trade. I'm the Morning Advertiser's editor, Ed Beddington, and this month we're joined by a special guest, Fullers' CEO, Simon Emony, who's here to chat about pubs and some of the issues he's dealing with over at Fullers. Simon, welcome to the show.
1: Good afternoon, yeah, thank you very much for having me, Ed.
0: Fantastic, let's let's kick off with a little bit of a chat about Fullers, how things are going with you guys. Um, It's obviously, it's been an interesting year, uh, or so for you. So what, what's, what's happening at Fuller's these days?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love the word interesting because it can always cover a multitude <laughs> of things. So I think when I look back on my career and look back over the last 12 months, uh, th- it's been an incredibly transformational period for us. It's, it's almost a year to the day since we announced the deal to sell the beer company to Asahi. Um, that transaction completed in, in April. During that time, we've also then changed the whole executive team, uh, invested in a really exciting new acquisition, Cotswolds Inns and Hotels. Uh, we're still running parts of the beer company for Asahi, and we're actually still um, occupying part of the Old Chiswick site, moving new to, soon to some new offices, and we've had to keep the business performing well, which we've managed to do traded very well over the Christmas and New Year period. So. I think when I look back over 2019 it's been incredibly hectic and we've emerged from it all in a really good place and we're ready now to execute the strategy for the future and I think everybody is very excited about that. So before we come on to our future, so you'll be where, where will the new offices be? They're still technically going to be in Chiswick, okay. uh, they're between two of our great pubs, uh, the Bell and Crown on Strand on the Green, uh, just next to Kewbridge and one over the eight and we're moving in in eight weeks time. Yeah, emotional time leaving the brewery, I imagine. I, I, no, I think we're ready to actually. I think the really, really emotional time was announcing the deal, being in the pub that night with all my colleagues that I've worked with for many years, some of whom were going to transfer across Versailles. That was certainly the most emotional day I've ever had. I think by the time we come to leave the site in at the end of March, we're ready for it actually and we're really excited about this fresh new era. Mm-hmm. So
0: what prompted the change in direction then in terms of sort of breaking that that traditional link between brewery and pub and focusing entirely on prop. What what was the thinking behind that? I'm
1: not sure anybody really saw that coming. Um, I think if you look back and you look at the beer industry and you look back at our beer company over the last 10, 15 years, we'd done really well to be where we were. Um, But the harsh reality was that actually having invested quite a lot of money in successful new acquisitions like Cornish Orchards, Nectar, Darkstar, there are too many breweries in this country now Um, to be economically successful at the scale that we were and so our profits over that ten year period were pretty much flat despite successful investment and we felt we'd done a fantastic job with brands like Frontier, London Pride and Cornish Orchards Mm -hmm. but to get to the next level they really needed to be owned by a company that had um, better resources, a better distribution network and every extra million pounds that we were continuing to invest in the beer company was a million pounds that we couldn't invest in our pubs division which was performing incredibly well and we were getting strong returns and investment so it was a very brave strategic decision that the board came to because you can imagine the emotional tie that we had to the beer company was enormous mm-hmm. but it was absolutely the right long-term decision for the business um, and actually a good long-term decision for the brewery itself um, because with the Asahi's worldwide distribution power, they'll be able to invest in the site, invest in the brand and hopefully grow capacity. So I think it was a deal that was a win-win for everybody um, and certainly now gives us new ambition, new resources to carry on expanding the managed pubs division. So how, how how do you see the sort of uh, future shaping up then for Fools? Well the immediate future is going to be very different to the long-term future. The immediate future is going to be about integrating the consortiums and hotels business, integrating Bell bedding the new executive team in, Um, so we've got a brand new executive team that have now been working together for about six months, moving offices and really refocusing the business around a strategy that is going to be about investing in our pubs and hotels, growing the number of bedrooms in our state, continuing to develop our really exciting fresh food proposition. We've got a number of new openings coming up over the next three or four months, a number of big refurbishments taking place. So we're really seeing the start of the new financial year as an exciting period for us in new offices, with further investment being made in the business for us to kick on. Do you have a nice pot of cash to invest? Then isn't uh uh, well, we've certainly got um, we've certainly got the ability to invest. Uh, I think for those people that have been following Fuller's for a long while, we're we're very careful investors. We're very methodical about yes. acquisitions that we make, and uh, we don't try and run too fast and spend money unwisely. So, um, yeah, this will be very much about continuing our successful investment history. And investing in assets that we think have great long-term potential.
0: And in terms of that, sort the of managed tenanted divide. How how are you? Uh, I mean, you said you're looking to invest in the managed side. What about the tenant side? What what happens with that?
1: Well, firstly, I think the <coughs> the future for a, a business like ours with managed and tenanted pubs is really bright. Actually, there is there is clearly a role if you're running pubs for having both estates, and they they work very very well together. So. The tenanted business will form a really important part of our strategy going forwards. It allows free movement between, between the two estates and mm-hmm. we'll certainly we'll see that over the next 12 months of sites going backwards and forwards. Um, but we will continue to invest in our turnover agreements which have been very successful so we've just crossed 30 or so pubs that we've invested jointly in with new tenants. Um, we think we can expand that further. Um, it's an exciting arena tenanted pubs mm. I think that it's fast moving now in terms of what lots of pub companies are having to do to offer to tenants because we're all essentially fighting for the best talent in the industry mm. and I think that's meant that the offers are having to become more flexible to recruit the best tenants into, into companies like this. And do you
0: see those turnover agreements as the, the main thrust going forward of any new agreements
1: with tenants? No I think is it it, it, we will have a suite of agreements suit different hubs. I think it's very important with a company of our size not to try and have too many agreements. It can be a bit, a bit too complicated. So I, I certainly feel that the turnover agreement would be part of our growth strategy in the tenancies and Maybe we'll look at one another new agreement but we will still continue to offer traditional three and six year tenancies as well. And in
0: terms of more wider within the industry then, what, what do you see as the sort of main challenges for, for the year ahead
1: and business rates aside because we'll touch on that later but yeah. I, 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 I think the question is really interesting about challenges and also the health of the pub industry overall and I, I think the health of the pub industry at the moment is really strong and I think the connection that pubs have with today's consumer, you look around the world you look around um, this country in particular you look at the number of industries that are structurally challenged, almost beyond repair. You look at the, the impact that the internet's had on retail, mm. um, you look at things like car manufacturing and how that's changing. And actually if you look at pubs overall, how they've adapted to life post the smoking ban is, we don't give ourselves as an industry anywhere near enough credit for what's happened. And, and the ability that pubs have now had to uh, develop coffee trade, breakfast trade, become a social meeting place, for parents dropping their kids off at school, um, the fact that Sunday lunch now in most pubs is probably one of the busiest sessions of the week. You I know, mean, this is an industry that has brilliantly, successfully evolved without needing to nearly die, and I, I think the industry needs to take a bit more credit for that, and certainly the damage that the impact that the digital economy and the and the internet has had on retail has been immense, and many companies are only now just waking up to, what are we going to do about this? The pub industry has done brilliantly well to evolve to where it is. Notwithstanding that, so what we are clearly demonstrating as a company and to a degree as an industry is our ability to attract customers in. We're doing this interview today in in a bustling pub. There's lots of pubs up and down the country that are performing really well. But the industry is really, really grappling with burdens of costs. And so our ability to attract customers is proven. Our ability as a customer to attract customers is proven. But it is going to be very difficult for businesses to be sustainable from a profit perspective unless something significant changes. You know, I think um, we, we see the cumulative effect of significant material increases in business rates taking place alongside an apprenticeship levy being introduced, further nest pension increases, um, Increasing kind of in the, the national living wage at a five times the rate of inflation. Yeah. Now, in isolation, something like the national living wage makes a degree of sense for the country. But to do it at the same time as everything else, it's going to mean that a lot of pubs, whilst attracting customers in, will be under financial pressure. Yeah. And um, so that's that's the biggest challenge for the industry. I think the industry has really done really well to differentiate itself from supermarkets in terms of what they're offering. Big tick there, but. Yeah. Um, you know, cost pressures are going to be a big challenge for pub companies over the next two years
0: and obviously we're, we're speaking on, on the eve of brexit um, yeah, how do you see that shaping up do you think that's going to be problematic for the sector or uh, are you um,
1: sort of fairly relaxed I, I, I know, certainly not relaxed <laughs> I, I I like to try and see what the positives could be out of this it's it's happening okay you know we've had the election three and a half years after the referendum you know brexit is happening and we, as a company, and as an industry, will have to find ways of working around what will undoubtedly be tougher immigration rules. Um, we've already started that journey with the work that we're doing with colleges and our apprenticeship scheme, our chefs' guild, some of the work that we're doing to attract and retain some great talent in our kitchens. Um, do I worry about what it's going to mean longer term for availability of labour? I do. But I think some of the mood music coming out, of, um, coming out of government sounds slightly more optimistic. And I think that where we are today politically, it's much, much better than where we were two months ago. So, you know, we have a degree of certainty. Um, we've had three and a half years to understand that life's not going to be the same from an immigration perspective. Um, we just want an open dialogue with government so that we can actually come up with a system that works for the hospitality industry. And generally, I think, looking at the year you've had and the
0: changes you made, do you expect uh, more sort of the seismic shift in the industry? Do you think any family <coughs> brewers are going to follow in your footsteps?
1: I'm not sure about that and I don't really think it's appropriate for me to comment on what other family brewers will do. Um, I'm really proud of what we've done um, because I think we've looked after our former colleagues in the business. Um, we've always kept a mind on what's happened to our customers and our customers don't notice any difference. I think the heritage of the brewery site will now continue and the new owners. I'm, I'm not sure that that opportunity will be there for everybody. I don't know really. I'm, I'm just really I'm really pleased with what we've achieved and we now look forward with a degree of
0: certainty. So I mean you've mentioned food and uh, it's clearly an important part of the mix at Fuller's um, and it's certainly a big part of the business for head chef at the Harwood Arms, Sally Abe, who are not content with the Michelin star, recently topped the list of the top 50 gastro gastropubs. Nikki Thatcher caught up with her on the night of the awards to find out what makes the Harwood Arms the UK's number one gastropub.
2: It's Nikki Thatcher at the Top 50 Pub 2020 where I'm here with number one top 50 gastropub for 2020 and chef of the year Sally and here she is. Talking to me about her win. So Sally, how did it feel when you announced as number one Gastro Pub?
3: Oh amazing, so happy, completely over the moon, you know, me and my team putting so much hard work every day and we're just thrilled.
2: <coughs> and what does it mean to you and your business to, to be not only top 50 gastro pub number one, but also the Chef of the Year award?
3: It, I mean, it means everything, you know. I couldn't do it without my team. They're behind me every day and striving for everything that we do, and yeah, just completely
2: everything. <laughs> and rumour has it, you are the first female to be number one. What do you think that means to yourself and to the industry?
3: Well, you know, it means a lot. Obviously, you know, I'm a big promoter of women in the industry and I want more women to come into the industry and I want to show them there is a place that they can feel safe and comfortable and hopefully I can set an example for other women to come into the industry. And when it comes to food, what makes the Harwood Arms stand out from the rest? Um, I mean, with my food, I'm not you know, breaking down any boundaries of modest cuisine or anything. I'm trying to cook comfortable, familiar food, but with an elegant, you know, simple touch. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what I just strive to do, basically. Yeah.
2: And how do you look to inspire other women to get into the industry, particularly kitchen and back of house?
3: Um, I mean, my kitchen is a very positive environment to be in and I want to empower everyone, men and women, that come into my kitchen and make them see that it can be a lovely thriving environment to work in. I just want to promote that, basically. And what do you think the
2: rest of the team are going to say, or have you already told them about your win?
3: No, not yet. I haven't had a chance yet. My phone's been going crazy, but no, I think they'll all be over the moon and so, so happy, yeah. (laughs) What about your regulars? i'm sure they'll be at just as pleased. <laughs> excellent well, thanks ever so much sally thank much you congratulations
0: again thank you so much <laughs> so simon great to hear that the gastropub continues to thrive under such great operators like sally uh, as i said earlier food's obviously quite an important part of the mix within your operations do you want to just talk us through that why is food so important
1: for us well, food is has been very important to us for a number of years and about 12 years ago we We looked at the marketplace, we could see that food was going to grow in pubs, but we needed a way of differentiating ourselves from everybody else, every pub was trying to do food. And we decided that we would remove all microwaves from our estate and we would ensure that all of our food was cooked fresh. So no microwaves anywhere, there. Wow. So all of our food is cooked fresh um, from chefs um, using primarily British ingredients and farms that we've worked very closely with. Um, through a um, through a distribution firm that we use in Hampshire, um, and that that caused a number of long-term decisions. You know, we invested very heavily in kitchen equipment, uh, which clearly you have to do if you're going to cook from fresh. Um, we've invested very heavily in stock systems and control systems because of the the, the focus on allergens and provenance, uh, and we've invested very heavily in training. Now. Wh- our pubs are still pubs, but they're pubs that do great food. You know, we've not tried to flip these pubs into being restaurants, mm-hmm. um, but we have differentiated what we do with food to ensure that it's fresh and that customers will pay a bit more for high-quality food.
0: Is it quite difficult to retain the, the, the pub element if you're if you're so focused on food, do you
1: think? No, I don't think it is, actually. Um, I think you can see it here today. Um, I've just been for lunch at one of our reopenings in the city, uh, the Vintry, where... You know, we're showcasing some incredible food cooked by an incredibly talented kitchen team, but I was uh, there was still a number of people in there who were using the pub just to have a lunchtime beer. Um, so no, I do I do think it's we've we've proved that's doable. In fact, in fact, the Harwood Arms still achieves that as well, and I think a number of the pubs that have won awards this week um, from that top British, uh, top fifty British gastro pubs still managed to carefully re- retain being a pub alongside certain great quality food mm. and we've also sort of seen
0: a, a little bit of a comeback on on the, on the wet side as well haven't we in terms of uh, I remember a few years ago we'd yeah. written off the wet lead pub as uh, it was all done and dusted um, but that's that's changed I mean what's your experience that? how do you see that with with your fuller's hat on Well,
1: I mean the first thing everyone's got to understand is never ever write off the British pub you Yeah, know, as I said earlier our ability to reinvent ourselves as an industry is fantastic, and I, through the course of my career, I've lost count how many times people have assumed that the pub has no long-term future. And the way that the drinks-led pubs have reinvented themselves again is further evidence of that. You know, the, the, the focus on craft products, the focus on seller, better seller standards, the focus on having a great range of spirits. Um, I'm just not surprised that um, drinks-led pubs have performed well. Uh, up and down the country, um, I think they've um, they've adapted to the needs of today's society, and they've got. They'll obviously be another stage in that journey, but uh, I'm not surprised that that's happening. I mean, that's that's key, isn't it? Those changing
0: demands from customers. It, it's such a, a fluid and dynamic kind of uh, market at the moment. So, how, how do you guys sort of look to stay ahead of that? Where, where do you look for those
1: for those trends and stay on top of them? Well, fortunately, we're based in London. And I think that, don't think that can be underestimated. Um, I think London is clearly where most um, movements and consumer trends begin. So we have to, operationally, we have to have often on the pulse of, of what's happening in London. We spend a lot of time looking at other industries, other sectors. We spend a lot of time looking abroad for uh, ideas creatively. Um, we spend a lot of time understanding, uh, without being the leaders, understanding what technology can do to enhance our business. Right. Um, so I think you know, going back many years ago, we were one of the first companies to put high quality Wi-Fi into our pubs. That's now the norm. You see it everywhere. Yes. But you know, increasingly, customers want to book online, not only for tables but for function space. Um, so I think that there are. I mean, you never finish this journey. You are always find, trying to find new ways to differentiate yourself. It, it's yeah, you've never reached it. I mean that.
0: The we look at what's happening with younger consumers, particularly and their attitudes towards you know, pubs and drinking and things like that. How how does how do you sort of evolve in the business to to appeal to to younger consumers who perhaps aren't consuming and looking at the industry in the same way as the previous generation?
4: Yeah,
1: you know, I I think that's probably the next long term challenge that we have as a sector. Um, we spend a lot of time looking at. Fortunately, our consumer base is slightly older than a number of our larger competitors. Mm -hmm. So we appeal to discerning customers, most of whom are in full-time employment, and will pay a bit more for higher quality products. But certainly if you look at the stats around how the younger generation, particularly 18 to 25 year olds, are treating alcohol, and the number of people that actually don't drink at all, Mm -hmm. um, their propensity to go out um, what they're actually eating and drinking when they do go out there, there's some things that we all need to be aware of because when this plays through in 10-15 years time it could be a threat to us I certainly feel that even though we all know that young people like to spend more time on social media or on their phones, watching Netflix what you can't take away from everybody is the desire and the need to socialise You know, we're, yes. we are sociable animals you know, we need to be out there integrating with other people um, so I think it, it will be the next challenge that the industry probably has, actually, in terms of recruiting the next generation of people, because they, they will not behave the way that we did when we were 30 years old.
0: And as you've said, the, the pubs
1: are uh,
0: great survivors, aren't they, and we're, we're very, uh, very good at evolving at the end We are. So.
1: We don't survive by doing nothing. No. You know, that's, that's why we are where we are today, because we, we haven't just sat there and waited for the juggernaut to hit us, so they have continually evolved and done, done new things. Okay, excellent. Okay, and uh, sport obviously is, is a big part
0: of this uh, as well and, and keeping people coming to the pub. So uh, we're going to have a quick look at sport now. We've got the Six Nations is just beginning to hit its stride. So our senior reporter, Stuart Stone, is going to take a look on how rugby tournaments can benefit the pub sector.
5: First off, uh, to kick us off, Adam, how has ETM's trading been during the Six Nations so far this year? Um, I think it's been
6: reasonably difficult to compare um, the first two weeks of Six Nations to last year's Six Nations. Um, with, the, with the storm last weekend for example and the Super Bowl, and the fact that we had the first England game on a Sunday, it's kind of not been a direct light for light comparison. The good news for us is we're up um, and we've certainly seen the footfall, particularly with uh, last Saturday. So last Saturday was a great day for us, incredible atmosphere in the venues, um, so it's kind of sitting us really well for the rest of the month, well the rest of the tournament, we're looking, we're looking pretty good.
5: Fantastic. How has footfall during this year's tournament stacked up against previous years? And do you feel like it's been boosted by a strong showings by the home nations at the World Cup last year? I was kind of worried a bit of a uh, World Cup hangover, to be honest with you. Um, I think some of
6: the home nations performed very, very well, but I think there was an expectation to probably perform a little bit better. Um, England obviously went on this massive roller coaster ride. Um, you know that was phenomenal um, but I think kind of maybe the Welsh and Irish fans were kind of hoping they were going to get their hands on the trophy or it would certainly be in the final or be up there um, what kind of has helped us uh, was the atmosphere that we generated through the um, through the World Cup we knew that we were going to be in a great position despite the fact that we were slightly concerned about after the World Cup final, or the World Cup in general, was there almost a kind of a hangover of too much rugby. Um, but we're delighted there hasn't been. Um, people are turning out in numbers to watch their teams. And they're kind of, almost the the way the World Cup worked, where people were watching so many games, and kind of the, the rise of Japan, for example, um, what we've found is that people are getting in for the games before and after the games they're coming to watch. And the atmosphere is just kind of keeping itself generated all the way through. So. It's, I was concerned, um, but it's actually fine. We're in a good place. So, yeah, we are still riding the World Cup
5: wave. Brilliant. And have you been, have you been doing anything different this year to drive footfall to your venues um, than you have done in previous years? So I think every year we try and kind of build
6: on what we do. Um, so last year we uh, had the Guinness Lounge at Greenwood, um, which was fantastic for us. And we've replicated that across uh, our other venues this year. So we have a Guinness Lounge today here at Redwood, which I think looks quite good. And we've also done it at Broadleaf as well, our venue in Westfield. Um, and we're just kind of trying to create that, you know, we are rugby feel during the Six Nations. And we've also added things in such as mobile bars this year just to make the ease of service so much quicker for people. Ultimately what people want to do is they don't want to have to move in this space and they've got it in a, in a busy venue. But they still want to have a pint of Guinness and they still want to have a beer and they still want to have a burger. So for us it's been that kind of way to make the customer journey easier when they're in the venue so they don't compromise that atmosphere, they don't lose what they're ultimately here for, which is to enjoy sport together.
5: And have you got anything special planned for the remainder of the tour? And You showed me the um, PS1 lounge in, uh, in Redwood <laughs> kind of just now, so Ovalon could you talk through that and perhaps any other bits and pieces that you're planning for the rest of this year's Six Nations?
6: Yeah, so we, we've dropped a Jonah Lumu 1997 lounge in, uh, in Redwood, which is a source of great amusement to watch people play a PS One. People absolutely love it, um, particularly kind of you know sort of the over thirties as well, because mm-hmm. we grew up with this game. It was, it was fantastic. So that, that's kind of a unique thing that we've not really seen anywhere else. Um, going into the rest of the tournament, we've got some quite cool stuff coming up. Um, so it's the activation of the Guinness, as you can see. Uh, we've got some player appearances um, happening, which is going to be quite nice. But we're going to do those as a, as a surprise and delight. Mm-hmm. So um, a table we put to the venue, um, and there'll be an empty seat and then a professional rugby player will sit down and watch the game with them and converse. Um, But it will be kind of, these guys won't know this is going to happen. And some of the names we're talking to at the moment are are quite good. We did it last year and it worked very, very well and we're going to replicate it this year. Um, One of the things we are doing uh, to celebrate kind of our first Six Nations at Redwood. um, We're obviously based in London Bridge. We're uh, bringing in a male voice rugby choir um, next Thursday um, to sing on the concourse. uh, Mainly kind of famous rugby anthems. So, you know, we're thinking swing low. Flower of Scotland, um, Jerusalem, along with National Anthem, shoulder to shoulder. And we're just going to try and create that feel of kind of unity when it comes to rugby. And we're going to do that in the station downstairs.
5: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And how does, um, how does trading during the Six Nations, I suppose rugby in general, compare to other sports? I mean, for example, you know, the trade brought by football, and you mentioned the, six, the uh, Super Bowl as well. How is business uh, brought by rugby fans different from those guys in terms of what they're eating, what they're drinking? Yeah, I think.
6: I think with rugby and football, I'm a fan of both, so I would go to the pub to watch football. I'd go to the pub to watch rugby, but there's definitely, definitely a difference between the two crowds. Um, but they also mix very well, mm-hmm. so there's never an issue of showing football and rugby at the same time for us. It's, you know, it's not a problem whatsoever. But kind of, the difference is, is the way they kind of consume the product when they're inside. So obviously Guinness is a major, major thing for us during the Six Nations. Um, whereas there probably isn't that kind of go-to drink other than any type of lager Mm. um, for football for example or uh, other sports so we tend to make sure that we kind of react to that and the speed of service with Guinness is obviously something that's quite difficult so we need to make sure we're ready for that and we have many opportunities to to get what they want as quick as they can as for the atmosphere I think it's Everybody associates, you know, the World Cup of football with people chucking beer everywhere. You, you obviously don't get that with rugby. Mm. It's just not something that kind of would happen. But you get a different type of atmosphere, and the atmosphere is people kind of celebrating little moments during the game. That you don't quite get with football. So, whether it's a, a massive hit in the second half, or mm. it's a sin bin, or it's someone winning a, a, a scrum against the head, these are all moments that. You kind of don't get as much as football. And you also get the big payoff moments with the tries, the conversions, or the penalties. You tend to find it more singing with rugby as well. Um, but you also get this kind of wonderful clash of nations. So on mm. Saturday, you know, we were absolutely... The English fans outnumbered the Scottish, but Flower of Scotland was being sung a lot louder than Swing, Rose, Sweet, Chariot. And then before you know it, you've got some Irish songs piping up, and you've got Bread of Heaven in the corner. And the atmosphere it generates is unique to... Uniquely different to any other sport, I would say, because the, everybody watches every nation. In, in the World Cup or the Euros, you, you won't kind of see England fans watching other teams. Whereas rugby, you tend to get them.
5: Fantastic, and obviously we've got the Women's Six Nations running in parallel to the Men's tournament this year. And as has, ETM had any success from showing that this year? Kind of have you got any specific plans for that tournament?
6: I think it's a growing. Um, a growing place for us to show the sport women's sport for us was fantastic we had a great women's world cup we went all in with it um i think the issue with the women's rugby at the moment is an issue with the tournament i mean for all games for the all games to kick off on the same day at the same time Mm -hmm. in round one was a problem obviously england scotland uh, was moved to the to the monday after the storm at the weekend so it's not it's it would be so much better for us if they made w- women's rugby easier to show and they kind of realized that there's this huge audience not just for, for people coming into the venues but for us as well as operators we want to celebrate the women's six nations we have the women's six nations fixtures up everywhere and um, they'll be on our match point feeds everyone will know that we're showing them. but it's that kind of level of we almost need those guys to help us to show it
5: hmm. okay and Finally, to wrap up, I guess, who do you think is going to win this year's Six Nations?
6: I think you're going to win it. Um, I think they've got a great chance. Probably losing against France was great for us for trade um, because the interest is going to be with us for the rest of the tournament. But I think it's also probably the kick that England needed. Also, the, the victory at Murrayfield in those conditions was incredible. It's all on Sunday the 23rd, I think, and then we'll find out who's going to do it. Right,
5: fantastic. Adam, thanks very much. Cheers.
0: So, Simon, is sports an important part of the mix for Fullers?
1: Um, do you know, it really is, from a number of angles. Uh, we, I think if you spend time in Fuller's pubs, you'll see that um, we, we're very careful about sport. Um, we don't have um, paid subscriptions in all of our pubs, far from it, because some of the biggest trading sessions coincide with live sporting matches. So yes. so we're quite selective about the pubs that actually have live sporting. And in fact, we're doing this broadcast today from one of our pubs in the city which has BT and Sky Sports right. and it, it's it has to be used extensively in the pub when you're paying subscription fees okay. um, but clearly there are still some sporting events like the Six Nations which are on terrestrial TV mm. and increasingly customers, particularly this time of year, having possibly not gone out as much in January as they do in other months see the start of the Six Nations as a wonderful opportunity to get out there with their friends, mm-hmm. share a few beers and, and watch some rugby.
0: And this Six Nations quite key. You, you're you quite affiliated to, to rugby as a business, aren't you? Is, is Six
1: Nations a key tournament for Fulham? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. From a number of angles. Firstly, because people gravitate to pubs to watch it, but also we do have a large number of pubs in the Twickenham, Richmond, uh, Chiswick area mm-hmm. um, that benefit hugely from 80,000 thirsty fans going to watch rugby at Twickenham.
0: Yes, yes, and then one famous
1: one, the Cabbage Patch, I believe. Uh, possibly, uh, I would argue without doubt the most famous rugby pub in the yeah. world. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. And how how do they deal with that? Because that's that's quite a quite a crown and a uh, challenge to live up to. And, and on those days when yeah. when the matches are there, it, it's uh, it's probably a bit of a bonfire, fight, isn't it? How, how do um, they make that a good experience? They
1: make it a great experience, and I think great credit goes to Stuart Green, our manager there, who. Has been with the, in the Cabbage Patch for now over twenty years, and he he's a classic example of what I was saying earlier. Of every year finding a better way to do the rugby days, you have to be well organised. So they're taking bookings up to a year in advance for matches, and they've worked out very carefully the menu in advance so that they can get food out to their their corporate guests uh, ahead of the matches, uh, ahead so ahead of kickoff. The range of products that are on the bar has to be very carefully thought through to make sure you have speed of service. We have gone to re- we have to use plastic there, and regrettably on match days we've right. gone to reusable plastic okay. a couple of years ago, so we've become very environmentally friendly. Mm. Um, recruitment of staff, making sure that we have enough people so that we can have serve people quickly. It, it's it's a very, very carefully thought through logistical exercise, mm. and Stuart, Stuart does it very well. well I mean, I, our biggest rugby day ever was the uh, Ireland match two years ago. Um, that's an amazing occasion. It always takes place around St Patrick's Day, and uh, we've, we've achieved some record numbers at the uh, at the Cabbage Patch.
0: Fantastic! I think it's experience, isn't it? And yeah. we, we talk a lot about sort of experiential pubs and, yeah. and activities and things like that. From pubs putting in everything from sort of shuffle boards to yeah. mystery escape rooms and things like that. Is
1: is that something that, that you guys are looking at? Is it? Oh. A, we're beyond looking at it. You know, it is it is critical to the success of a pub. You know, when you the reality is if if we're going to, if you're going to buy a pint of beer in a supermarket it's going to cost you a fraction of what it costs you in a pub. So when that customer's having choosing to have a beer or gin and tonic a pub, they have to get more than just the liquid itself, they have to get an experience. Mm. Um and, and you know, we could we could now sit here and spend the next hour talking about some of the initiatives we've had in the pubs around Things like shuffle boards and around Shakespeare and the Garden, which has been an incredibly successful event, attracting nearly ten thousand people into our pubs last year. That we'll build on even further with the Cotswolds Estate this year. So, Mm, mm. whichever touch point, whether it's simple execution of a shuffle board at the Hercules, or on a bigger scale, the success of Shakespeare and the Garden, we recognise that as a really successful premium pub operator, you have to be giving customers experiences that they'll remember, Mm. uh, and not just giving them the opportunity to have a beer.
0: And what's, what's the most memorable thing that, that you've seen then, and in, in, maybe not just in Fullers, but generally in, in the uh, pub world?
1: Well, I I, I I think what we've done with Shakespeare in the Garden is incredible, actually. I I, I think that's one of the um, initiatives I'm most proud of over the last couple of years. It's it's very difficult to put on. Mm-hmm. You have to again be very organised, this is a touring theatre group um, that you've just experiences to customers in the local community that they're just not going to forget Mm -hmm. and we've got better and better about building that database selling food around the experience Um, I certainly having been to a number of them last year I think it's a great example of how we give Um, really good experiences to customers. Fantastic and you you touched on sustainability
0: there as well Um, that's obviously becoming a a bigger and bigger issue from uh, in the
1: eyes of consumers. Um, Do you think the pub industry is doing enough? Do you think we're we're going in the right direction? Well I think if you think you're doing enough then you're not doing enough. Um, The reality is there's just been a big forum in Davos uh, for the last couple of years it's always been about technology. This year it's all been about the environment and we are very reliant on attracting really young talented people to work in our pubs and what they want to know more than anything is what are you doing about the environment Mm. Uh, it's the most direct question they'll ask at an interview whether we're recruiting graduates young ops managers young general managers they absolutely want us to be proactive on what Mm. we're doing and what they don't want to see is some page stuck at the back of an annual report that just says this is kind of the half-hearted attempts we're having so we've launched a, a major program called Life's Too Good to Waste, which is not only going to be tackling um, removing plastic from our business and removing the amount of waste that we put into landfill. it's also going to be covering really important areas like mental health, and it will lead to nine different initiatives that we've just begun. So we've just touched the surface. So to answer your question, if you think, I do not think we're doing enough at the moment, right. do I think it's high on our priority list and we're going to be doing much more? Absolutely and um, it won't you know, if, we, if we complete this year's program it won't stop there. it has to move on to the next level. Do you think there's enough uh,
0: emphasis on it within the trade generally? do you think it's, it's something that we, we no I don't
1: uh, I really don't there isn't enough emphasis on the trade. You know we, we have so many as an industry so many areas that we've been fighting on for the last decade. Uh, I think it's something that we're all going to have to put more effort into and the next generation will be demanding it. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, and finally we're going to talk about one of the biggest and most contentious issues in pub trade at the moment, business rates. Uh, before we get your views on that topic, Simon, we spoke to a group of our finalists at the Public Awards Judging Day to get their thoughts on the situation and how they're tackling the problem.
3: Some of the biggest
2: names in the pub trade have gathered here in London for the final day of the Publican Awards judging. I'm Alice Leader for The Morning Advertiser and I thought I'd take this opportunity to ask some of these leaders what challenges 2020 might bring for the trade and what plans they have to tackle them.
7: Hi, I'm uh, Tim Bird, the owner of Cheshire Gap Pubs and Bars Limited. And um, the biggest challenge facing uh, our business this year? Well, the pub business particularly... um, I still have a question about rates, business rates, Um, we're obviously getting our forms through to complete and I've raised the question last week with my MP Esther McVeigh as to why the pub business is um, uh, charged on our uh, volume, our our sales turnover, um, and why restaurants are on square footage. And it seems that pubs are the only industry in the whole of the country that are actually charged business rates on our turnover and there is a case for discrimination. And from a positive perspective, Esther McVeigh felt that the the business rates sort of imbalance needs to be addressed. And that in many respects, restaurants aren't seeing the same pressure on business rates as as pubs are continually. Um, And you know, it really is a real problem. Pubs are being overcharged and restaurants aren't. And it's a hospitality business collectively. Let's sort it out once and for all. We're not doing anything, or in 10 years, nothing positive really has come out of business rates. And I know that's contentious saying that, but we keep giving discounts to the pubs that aren't making it. We're not doing anything for the pubs that are really making a difference.
6: Hi, I'm uh, Henry Fairbanks. I'm operations director for Bermondsey Pub Company. Uh, so the question I'm being asked is uh, what do I see as uh, the biggest challenges facing our industry this year? I think, uh, I think the biggest challenge f- uh, f- for us uh, will be uh, rising costs uh, and I think it's, it's really, really important that even though we have rising costs in our businesses, making sure that our guests uh, don't suffer uh, inferior product uh, or service or atmosphere um, when coming into our businesses. We want to make sure that they still get uh, the, uh, the premium feel. Um, that they're expecting. Great food, great drink, uh, great atmosphere and most importantly, great service from our team.
8: Uh, hi guys, uh, Jason Perfect from Liberation Group here, Managing Director of uh, both Liberation Group and Buck and Brewery Pubs, Hotels and Bars um, across three different islands, so quite, quite lucky to be fair. Biggest challenges, biggest challenges for the years ahead or the year ahead should we go for. Uh, I think that if we start off with um, with cost control, which is, which is always going to be Something that that hits us quite hard as as business in the pub group. Um, that's not only us, but but rest pub groups across the country. Um, there's also the the, uh, the possible rise in duty, um, which means a bit more cost back to our customers possibly as well, uh, in terms of drink inflation, uh, which is always quite tough. On the positive side, though, um, we we do at Liberation in particular. We, we spent a lot of time over the last two years, not only this last 12 months in um, sort of focusing on how we, how we make experiences better for our customers to therefore drive further awareness into our businesses again. And this not only leads to better engagement with our customers um, but we also then have better engagement with our teams. Um, we spend a lot of time with train or on training, learning and development for our businesses as well um, with several uh, different courses available for our teams so where we can improve our skill set and therefore improve the experience within the business itself um, that obviously drives further trade and helps us do it and off the back of that um, we heavily invest into our businesses and the last year alone we've done 15 investments um, adding circa 50 bedrooms as well to our pubs so adding more variation to our pubs and therefore making them something that you want to come to not only once a week but several times a week.
2: Hi it's Fiona Potts from North Bar and North Brewing Company. Um, the biggest challenge we're finding this year I would say is uncertain terms of the economical climate. Um, a lot of our bars are in different suburban areas so they've all got an independent feel and have very different needs so one way we're going to counteract the challenge is getting to community and seeing how that feels and being more involved in the community as well as the city centre sites
4: hi matt cotter operations manager from mcmullan and sons limited family brewery in Hertfordshire the biggest challenge we're going to face in 2020 I believe will be the challenge of recruitment, particularly back of house recruitment, um, given the fear that we will the influx of Eastern Europeans will slow down and some of the Eastern Europeans we have currently in the business may decide to leave um, back to their home countries. Uh, the way that we're going to mitigate that is to develop, continue and improve our own development programmers for the chefs we have in the business currently and for that as a, a large investment in terms of uh, training development we're lucky enough to have our own training development kitchens in Hartford uh, where we um, can host several up to five training courses a week for these chefs that we've got in the business currently.
0: Okay some interesting thoughts there but Simon what's your stance on business right? How long have you got? <laughs>
1: Well, my, I mean my stance very simply is that this is a system that was designed well over 50 years ago uh, that is no longer fit for purpose and I think that's been demonstrated by the large number of failures not only in our sector but also in the retail sector And quite often these failures are companies that actually still are growing sales um, but cannot cope with the cripples and burden of business rates and um, where you've seen um, disruption in industries particularly in retail and new entrants coming in without a physical presence but not paying business rates and not paying their fair share of taxes it then increases the burden on the established companies and that's companies ranging from Debenhams to Fullers to other companies in our sector and that's simply unsustainable and tinkering with it um, will only just paper over the cracks and I think it was a big piece in the Conservative manifesto for the last general election that they would lead a wholesale root and branch review of business rates. Mm. We've been calling for that for some time. They've given some temporary relief, an extension of temporary relief to small businesses, mm. but that isn't the answer to it. No. You know, that will just buy them some, some time um, whilst they whilst they complete a comprehensive review. Um, but it, if you project forwards and you understand the increasing role that the digital economy is going to play, the challenge for government is how do they get taxation out of that business model uh, and until they until they work that out you're going to see more and more companies go to the wall with the burden of an increased, re- an increased um, amount of business rates they've got to pay so I will continue to lobby very hard with the BBPA and I'm sure the UK hospitality will do the same that we absolutely have to be adamant that tinkering around the edges isn't going to work um, if you look forward you've got to have a comprehensive root and branch of your business rates I mean how, how damaging has it been to to your business well I think I think in I don't think government are going to be terribly interested in a company like Fuller's our profits being reduced by the best part of three million pounds over two and a half years um, I'm not sure that that's where their greatest concern will be but that's what's happened you know our business rates bill uh, in the first year post the um 2017 review, um, went up by three million pounds, you know that's just unsustainable for company House. but clearly if you look across the whole of the sector, there are companies that don't have our history, don't have our property portfolio, that have actually no longer exist, and that's primarily because of business rates. So it's been incredibly damaging for the sector overall, it's dented our profits, and I've no doubt it's dented the profits of other, other big companies in our sector. Um, but it provides a massive, massive disincentive to invest. Mm. Um, yeah, the sector will struggle to attract fresh investment uh, unless something's done about this. And what do you think as, a, as an industry
0: and, and the wider track, what, what can what can our listeners be doing? I mean, where can they where can they help? What can they do? Practical steps that, to 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 drive this campaign
8: forward.
1: Well, I think you've got to continue to work very closely with the trade organisations that represent our sector in terms of the BBPA and UK hospitality. I think they should be writing to their local MPs um, mm. I think it's been very proved really clearly with the success of the duty campaign over the last four or five years how much impact this does have with local MPs when you do write to them. Mm. So I think it's very important to engage with a local member of parliament um, to lobby hard there. And that that, that reform that's, that's
0: in that, that manifesto, I mean are you confident that's going to come across or do you think uh, it? Could be kicked into the long grass with uh, with Brexit and everything else that's going on.
1: I'm more confident that it will be addressed than I would have been three or four months ago. Um, I think with the majority that Boris Johnson's got, he clearly has a transformational agenda in a number of areas, um, and I think now he has the space to be able to take some very brave decisions. So I'm not. Outstandingly confident, but I'm more confident than I was. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and let's let's try and end on an optimistic <laughs> note. So, uh, reasons to be cheerful. What what, what do you think? Uh, well, where, where are you optimistic? What do you think is
1: uh, should we be cheerful about? It? I, well, I think we should be cheerful about our ability to attract customers into our pubs. I think we should look forward and recognise that the Six Nations starting tomorrow. We then launch into a really exciting year of sporting events, including the Euros, where I think there are at least seven matches happening at Wembley. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with most of the decline of the Tottenham team this year, there won't be as many Spurs players playing for England as I'd hope there would be, but you know, I think we can look forward to a really exciting summer of football. I think we can look forward to a better, better summer of better weather, and, um, and I think that's exciting. Mm. Fantastic.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much, Simon. That's about all we have time for this one. So thanks for joining us today. It's been uh, it's been fascinating hearing your, your thoughts and views. So thank you very much. Thank you
1: very much, yeah. Brilliant.
0: And thanks to the MA audience for listening. We'll be back next month with more interviews featuring key people in the pub trade. Until then, see you in the pub.